Thank you for joining us on Love That Voiceover, where we explore the people and projects behind the microphone in depth. I am your shaky cutie ghost. Love That Rebecca. Hi, this is the big gun, Ed Victor. Keep listening to Love That Voiceover with Rebecca. I know I will. We are back with the wonderful Tom Pinto. He bought the seedy little Hollywood studio, and uh, that was where Orson Welles first crossed his paths. He crossed paths next with Bill Ratner, an infamous or famous (laughs) uh, voiceover uh, actor. And now, Tom... What's the status for you? You're you've got an agent. You're represented. You're working. You've got a little company. Uh, what happens next? Bring us to present day. Well, you know, eventually, eventually, I found that I was just having, I was having more success as a voice talent, and I was having difficulty juggling it all. I even, you know, my my the other two partners they went off on their own direction, and I had the studio by myself. Oh wow. I was I was coaching classes. Um, I tried to step it up a little bit more as also a commercial, uh, a reasonably priced commercial studio. Right. And I moved it from the CD area of Hollywood over toward, uh, well, actually right down the street from LA Studios. Okay. So I was a cheap option to LA Studios. Ooh. But I was just so busy, starting to get so busy doing promos and commercials that I found I was canceling too many demo appointments and my head wasn't there producing somebody's demo tape because it's a quite a creative process. You really have to, I mean, to do it right, you've got to be there. And um, I just found that I needed to, I needed to make a decision, especially now we were starting to get, this was uh, uh, early 90s. I was at the point where people were saying everything's going digital. Right. And I was really concerned about the the, the investment that I was going to have to make and would I have my head there. And so, you know, I punted. I sold okay. at that point. Okay. Well, you know, and, and such is the life of a talented guy. You found that your, your creative talents on the voice side took over. That's very exciting. Now... Um, now it's that you said that was in the early nineties or so where you went then as an individual talent and that was your prime business, correct? Yeah. At that point, at that point it was pretty much voiceover only. Plus I would start, I would guest direct other workshops, you know, because I do enjoy the teaching. So I kept my finger in that pot, you know, around town and also in San Francisco. Okay. You know, where, where my ex-wife actually moved and said, hi. I know you don't love me anymore, but uh, I sure would love you to teach up here. And uh, <laughs> well, we won't we, we won't ask too many questions. I was at Samantha Paris at Voice Track San Francisco. We won't ask too many questions, but uh, uh, so your career blossomed as a VO talent, and you ended up where you are now in the in the fringes of the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, meaning you're you're not really in the San Francisco Bay Area proper. You're a little further removed than that. But if people exactly. are, you know, outside of the state of California, you think San Francisco Bay Area, and that's kind of where Tom is. So um, you are currently, just describe your current state then with your voiceover business overall and how it's working for you. Well, b- basically, we saw the turn, you know, by the time I signed with a New York agent in 2002, um, you know, I it, I was doing so many auditions and so many promo jobs out of my own little uh, studio setup. I could see the writing on the wall 
that especially for promos, I had to be at a particular studio most of the time. And I wasn't, excuse me, obviously I wasn't the first. I mean, look at Don LaFontaine. Right. He even got to the point to where to where even, a, even having a limo driver wasn't enough because he was losing time 15 minutes on the road going from studio to studio. Sure. So he was at home. And then several other extremely busy voice talent you know, followed suit. So that that opened the door for a lot of us. And then it also opened the door for people. You mean in terms of opening, let me just pause for a moment just to clarify. What you mean is it, it shifted from working in the external studios and going from them to point to point to point versus having your own home studio. Exactly. I mean, the, the, the names, I mean, there's so many, I, w- I would be uh, ashamed to leave out uh, any of these icons names, but you know, when you're talking about not, not just Don LaFontaine, but then when you got in, you know, George Del Hoyo, who was so hot at that time, too. I mean, he had to start getting Reno Romano. I mean, basically, you know, it suddenly got to the point where, where's Reno? Never see Reno anymore. Oh, he's working. He's just working out of home. Okay. You know, that made the shift. So they really cut the new road. I'm sorry, what was that again? They really cut the new road t- toward the home studio. It really did. And then my wife was from... Uh, this area, you know, in the in the Sacramento Delta, and she just got a great. We were living south in L.A. Right. Uh, she, she got a great job opportunity to return up here, and she says, "But I suppose we can't do that." And I said, "Well, no. Let's take a look at my numbers." Right. I mean, basically, I'm working out of out of my home studio most of the time. Fascinating. And so we did it. That was 2005. So that's basically that's that's been about seven and a half years, Rebecca. Well, it's a wonderful piece of voiceover history that's very recent, you know, because people have talked about the home studio as if it's something standard now. And, of course, a lot of people who really aren't doing a lot of professional work are trying to by building their own home studio, et cetera, et cetera. So it's interesting that the time frame is around 2003 to 2005. It really shifted from going to studios to actually recording from home. For the professional yes. talent in a in a general, you know, sense of the time curve there. Um, excellent. Thank you. Because I had heard of Don LaFontaine being the leader, but I didn't know kind of some of the other names that were were leaders uh, with him in that in that uh, really paradigm shift for the industry. Yeah. Yeah. And it it it, it um, it's interesting because when I uh, when I started doing this before I had my own home studio, I was renting a small space in Burbank at, at, a, at another recording studio. They basically gave me their closet. That's no joke. It was, it was a closet <laughs> that they soundproofed for me. Awesome. Because Burbank was central for me to get to a lot of other things. But even then, when I was recording in that booth back there, I would see actors come in, busy actors who couldn't get to their agent's office to do the auditions, guys like Rob Paulson. You know, who'd be between, or Jeff Bennett, they would be in between two different cartoons and they couldn't get over to Sutton Bartha Minari to audition. And so then they would come to Mai Tai Studios and they would use this second booth, you know, to record their auditions. Oh, wow. So, you know, busy people, I'm just going to say the busy working stiffs really, like you said, opened up that, you know, made, forced that shift. Right, right, right. Wow, that's really cool. That's a really uh, momentous time. And speaking of that, then, um, in your opinion, because now here we are, you know, October 2012, um, what do you think about the proliferation of home studios and um, 
the way that it's working with the agents and the casting folks and the and the uh, artistic, you know, at, um, advertising agency production people uh, from your professional level. I'm not saying I'm not talking about anything else. I'm just saying at the very professional level, you know, how has this affected or impacted the industry as you know it? Well, I think there are still some people who have difficulty with the concept that somebody that they're working with somebody in a home studio and that there's a a lack of trust. I will tell you that there are a couple of top, top advertising agencies in San Francisco who basically will not do an ISDN with a talent out of his home studio. Wow. Um, so, and and it, I, I don't want to like, you know. No, you don't have to name any feeds. names because <laughs> that's the the experience we're talking about. We don't have to point out people particularly because what we're talking about is the adaptation to the paradigm shift. We mentioned that before, that there's a paradigm shift of working in home studios from previously working in professional studios that the talent would go to. And so what we're talking about is now how many people are adapting and how is the adaptation in the professional other parts of the industry towards the VO talent working out of the home studio. And uh, just to elaborate a little bit more, I've talked to another person um, who is a professional voice talent, and she says that she never goes to her agency anymore. She's in Los Angeles, uh, has a high-level agency, uh, Abrams, Mm -hmm. and she never goes there. She never goes there anymore to do any kind of auditions. She does everything from her home studio. And you know what? That's the good news and bad news, Rebecca, because I will tell you that there are occasions where, for me, I will drive an hour and a half into San Francisco to do uh, to do a session. In particular, if it's a new a new uh, a new account, I don't mind doing the drive. But you know what else? You see people, right? You see engineers. You make contact, and unfortunately, by record by doing all your auditions out of the home, like uh, the the VO talent that you were talking about, it works for her schedule. But you miss some of that camaraderie. You said at the at the beginning, you but loving. Hearing the camaraderie on that word of mouth tape. Right. It used to be, I, not not to give old stories here, but when you would go to a casting house like the voice caster, and it was a day where they were doing group reads, where there were going to be six people on each spot. How fun. The lobby was full. Yeah. I mean, the lobby was full. And, you know, there are funny, funny people in our business. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the late Bob Ridgely or uh, Sam McMurray, who was on um, the Tracy Ullman show. Wow. Uh, Tress McNeil, uh, Rob Paulson, right. Danny Mann. I mean, these people, they're, they're, they're Pat crazy Freddy, they're, funny. They're, they're basically stand-ups. Right. And and you just sit there in the lobby waiting to read, hearing these people exchange stories about, well, when I worked on Mel Brooks's movie there and he kicked me off the movie, you know, it's like you get all this inside dope and it was... And it, and also, your energy level was like, I'm ready to perform. Yes, yes. And it took you up home, a notch in a way by being around that. Exactly. But when you're in your home studio, and when I'm coaching people these days, Rebecca, I would say about 75% of the coaching that I do deals with recording out of your home studio, self-directing, because you can feel like an island. You can feel separated. And I hear producer buddies tell me, wow, I listen to these takes and just nothing's jumping out. They all, they sound great. Great microphone. Gee, he edited out all the breaths, but <laughs> something's missing. What's missing is spontaneity. Well, let's see. Let's hear about Tom. Let me hear about Tom, because how do you deal with that uh, individually? How do you keep yourself fresh? What do you do personally 
um, you know, to keep yourself because you're working out of home, right? You have your own home studio mm-hmm. now. That's your current state, correct? Yes. I have to play mind games with myself. Oh, my. Tell us more. Yes. Basically, what I like to do is I like to separate the tasks. I have to say, look, if I were driving into town, if I were driving into my agents, it would be, what, an hour and a half round trip, let's say, you know, I'm, t- I'm talking about from the Los Angeles scenario. Okay. So I tell, I, or I, I'll even tell students of mine who live in San Francisco, if I, if I said, look, if it takes you an hour and a half round trip to go into your agents, and you're saving all that, all that time, why don't you use some of that time to give yourself reflection? chill time. Go into the studio, play around a little little bit, experiment. Don't even lay it down, okay? And then when you're ready to lay it down, don't do 9,000 takes because you can, which of course you can because you own studio. Pretend like you're at your agents and you know that they're going to say, you know what, two takes and we need you to get out of here. Put that a little bit of that performance pressure on yourself to be in the moment. Then what I do is I'm a big gardener. I will go in my backyard and I'll water for 10, 15 minutes, you know, or I'll prune the roses right? or I'll feed the cat and I'll do something to take my mind off of this just as if, if you were driving from one audition to the next, you might be in your car, you might be talking to your daughter to say, hi, how's your, how's it going at school? Or you, you may stop at a store to pick up a, oh, to pick up some toner for your copier at home before you go to the audition. You have tasks. Right. So to sit in. Can, can sit, I ask you a question? Does eating count? Can I have an ice cream break? Does that? Ab- absolutely, baby. <laughs> I think that, that, that is, and, and I'm telling you, that is a great thing because sometimes I have a strong work ethic. I could get on the road and do one audition, two audition, three, four, five, like, wait a minute. Don't lump them all together because they may end up sounding, you know, give yourself a different energy, you know, walk out of the studio and come back in with a new, a new energy, body language, posture and attitude. Right. Because you're going from doing a promo for History Channel to suddenly you have to do something silly for a video game. And you got to shift for that. Yeah. Let's talk about something silly. Let's shift our own gears. Okay. Imagine that rose and snipping the thorn away. And now come back to me. (laughs) Tell me about, tell us, tell everyone listening about your notable roles. What were the most fun things? I'm going to list off just a couple that I grabbed off the internet because you've got some really cool stuff, but. There's a fun one, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It was a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you did some shift to Zodiac, the film. <laughs> shift to uh, CBS with Katie Couric. Shift again to Modern Marvels. And shift again to Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. Oh, boy. I mean, I'm just rolling around in the credits here just to kind of go with the flow of shifting, you know. But tell us about the ones that you feel were your most notable for whatever reasons you have and expand on that. Oh, okay. Well, you're sweet. You know what? As you said that, as you said all those credits, I started to feel very fortunate because I always told myself I wanted to be a chameleon and I wanted to do everything if I possibly could, you know. Uh, you seem to have struck that chord. Yeah. Well, the, and, and there are others when I think of like uh, Townsend Coleman and, and Jim Cummings. Uh, you know, I, I think those are the, those are like prototype ch- uh, chameleons because they, they really do a lot. I mean, always are doing a lot. But I, I would say in terms of fun. Fun. Fun for, fun, fun for me was doing 
my, my guest shots on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I pr- probably was around a seven or eight of those. Cool. You know, doing, you know, ancillary characters, you know, villains or stuff like that. Right. I actually did the voice. Can you remember of, any of them? Yes. Can you remember any of the characters and bring them back for us? Resurrect them? Yes. Uh, there were there 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 was uh, Ronald Crump, who was uh, you know sort of a sort of a you know a Donald Trump type, you know. <laughs> so he was a sleazebag billionaire. <laughs> uh, there was uh, there was Captain McFilth, you know, which obviously a little pirate thing. I already feel dirty. Then then uh, myself and Pat Fraley and Tress McNeil, we were this trio of nerds from outer space. We were uh, we were neutrinos, babe. Sweet. And everything I said anyway, babe. And uh, anyhow, so we would help the turtles, you know, fight t- truth and justice in the American way. Very but nice. That was a well-oiled machine, you know, having, you know, Townsend Coleman and, and, and Rob Paulson and, and Cam I Clark and, and Barry Gordon as, as, the, as the heart of the cast. And then Pat Fraley always making everybody laugh with, with his dastardly evil guys that were bumbling and fumbling. <laughs> And it it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, seriously, you would you, you know you're you'd be crying sometimes. You'd be laughing so hard, and I'm saying <laughs> at what these other people would do. Right, right. And that's no false humility. I think I know. I think I've got a great sense of humor. But in terms of who are we hiring to do the ultra funny parts, you know, some of those guys got it, and I would just sit back and enjoy it. That's awesome. You know? That's awesome. With that. We're going to sit back and enjoy a quick break. Will you hang with me, Tom? You got it. Okay. Hey, all you sexy, fabulous, wonderful, joyous, prosperous, wealthy, beautiful people. This is Rebecca Michaels-Haw, also known as Love That Rebecca of Love That VoiceOver. I am dedicated to bringing you a really exciting 2013 with fun people, interesting backgrounds, Fantastic Secrets Revealed. My focus are voiceover talent, casting directors, and other creatives that work behind the mic. Tune in anytime since archives are online at Blog Talk Radio right now. So tell your friends, tell your other friends, tell your producers, (laughs) tell everyone to tune in to Love That VoiceOver with Love That Rebecca, Rebecca Michaels-Haw. Thanks for listening to Love That VoiceOver. Here we are. We're back with the fabulous, the wonderful, the the very reserved and quiet. He can change, you know, like that. Tom Pinto. Welcome back, Tom. Hello. <laughs> I'm changing right now. <laughs> so what do you is there something you'd love to share? You know what? I will tell you this. I it just happened the other day. I I was at an event. Uh, it was a, a local uh, charity event here in in our in our little town, and you know, in, inevitably, people say, "What do you do?" Yeah, and you know, and when you tell them, as soon as you say the word voiceover, you you can't believe the number of people that say, "Oh, well, you know, I'm doing a little th- local theater here, and somebody was telling me I should get into voiceover." It's amazing the number of people that some at some point in their life have considered. Getting into voiceover, or have been told by somebody else that they should. Exactly, and and um, and not that I want to pin this on Tress McNeil, the great Tress McNeil. <laughs> um, you know, Animaniacs, Tiny Toons, wow. I mean, you know, uh, Simpsons. Yes. You know, I mean, Tress Tress is a legend. I mean, Tress Tress is a, a truly an icon. But we used to joke about it. 
because she she'd say, uh, "Oh yeah, lost my job. Uh, no no deal, no big deal. I'll just go do voiceovers." <laughs> Hi, I'm no longer on that TV series anymore. No problem. I'll just go do voiceovers. Oh my God! That that we really and for those of us who've been in voiceover for many years and work hard and you know yeah. what it takes at a session to finesse a spot or something the way that they want it. It's truly, it involves craft. It involves work. You don't roll out of bed and just, hi, I'm going to do this. And um, it still amazes me. It's, it still amazes me the number of, of people that don't give it its just due of how hard it can be about developing the right kind of style behind microphone, the various styles, keeping keeping track of the trends that are out there, you know, to be, okay, we don't want announcers. We want non-announcers. Now we want quirky announcers. Now we want celebrities. Now we don't want celebrities. Or the gravelly voice. So you don't want the gravelly so, voice anymore. So I, 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 I just, uh, I, I'm always amused by it. You know, the, 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 the it, it, dare I say, almost lack of respect for the craft. Yeah. And I always tell people when I, when I start a class, I say, you know, I'm a tough cookie. And I'm going to work you hard because you're paying a lot of money to be in this class. But anybody thinks they're going to walk in here and say, fine, I'm having a six-figure income within six months. Can you do that? Can you, do, can you even become a doctor? It's going to take eight years before you make good income as a doctor. And then on top of it, you got to pay back your school loans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I just want people to understand. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a, you're right. What we're trying to, what, what you're saying is you're, there's a myth out there that it's so easy because all you have to do is is use your voice and talk into a mic. But what's really, really being uh, missed in that is the fact that there is a huge amount of a talent that will be showing who's the who the men versus the boys, if you want to put it in that mm-hmm. kind of a context. Sure. And also, you know, there's a whole angle of it that you haven't really touched, which is about running a business. You have to run yes. your own business. You are an entrepreneur. When you are a voiceover talent or any kind of talent, actor, singer, um, anything, voiceover talent means you're an actor and you're professionally running a business because it's you, which you're, what, what you're selling is you. And um, it shouldn't be downplayed. And we, we honor we honor you, Tom, here. We hold you up in the iconic status of all others like Bo Weaver and Susan Blue because you inspire us because we know that you're telling us the truth. Well, if anything, as a teacher, I, over the years, I hope I've told the truth because there, there are unfortunately some unscrupulous people that decide to go into teaching because it's decent income when they're not making a living as a voice talent. And, um, and I'm there, I said it, you know, yeah. but you know what? I've been teaching for well over 30 years when I was ba- and balancing a lot of different stuff. I get more joy directing somebody on a spot to get them to where they need to be than I actually do when I voice it myself. The difference is we get paid a lot more to voice than we do to teach. So you don't teach because of the money. You teach because you love. You love sharing the knowledge. Yeah, and, uh, that's, and that's nice. Just the way it is. And I'm not sure everybody is coming from that angle, you know. And I try to work. I try to have people on the show who who I believe 
you know, whether that's naivety or not. I don't think so. I think that people I have on the show have a real credible, have a real credible track record and history in the industry. And I try to keep it at that. So that's why you're here. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little if bit. If I can add to the cred, that's fine. Yeah, man. Street cred. Street cred. You're, you're welcome, Rebecca. <laughs> um, let's talk about the industry. You know, since you brought that kind of an angle up and with the success that you've had, you know, up to now, what's more important? This is an age old question. Who you know or what you know? Um, I will tell you that there are a few talent out there who I've always been amazed at how they continue to work as much as they do. And then I quickly catch myself and realize that they are ultra marketers and um, they're really good. They're really good about making those connections, about showing up at the right parties, about sending little thank you gifts, you know, a box of C's candies after a session. Uh, There are some people that are better than others. And like you said earlier, it's a business and your agent is not going to do all the work for you. So you you do have to, you know, in terms of what's more important, what you know or who you know. I mean, I think it's both, but you 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 have to be proactive. You have to be proactive. I mean, years ago there was a a voiceover talent who started doing promos at ABC and it was found out later and a lot of people would say, "How come this guy's doing? He's really he's not he's not really that great." Well, you know, it turns out he was playing golf. He was playing golf with a couple of producers. He had he had seen them on the golf course and suddenly started doing a regular foursome. And then then pretty soon this guy got an opportunity to do a few promos when Ernie Anderson was on vacation. Right. So that's sometimes know. who you know at that point. And striking when the iron is hot, being an entrepreneur and good marketer. Yeah, you you have to. And I will tell you that I I, I think I've been better at that at times where I've. Uh, you know, put more energy into it. Uh, like when I revamp my website, and I work with somebody who's who's. Uh, uh, in fact, it's it's a cousin of mine who's a, a social media guru down in L.A. And you know, and he just kind of you know said, "Look, Tom, you know voiceover, but I know I know this angle. So let's you know position your website a little bit more." Would you say? And and I will also tell you that uh, just even, you know, when I was doing so much of my work for CBS, you know, I mean, right now I'm, I'm doing, you know, like a utility person here the last uh, six to eight months, but I'm still happy to be a, a affiliated with them. I would go back every year because seeing those people in person and going out and having a beer, you know, with the, with the producers yeah. or bringing in stuff from Carnegie Deli, um, <laughs> those things do work. Yeah. You know, and, they, and, they, and they work from a standpoint that you, if you're, if you're sincere and that you're, I mean, I was grateful for that, that run, that incredible run there. I mean, so it wasn't like, hi, let me just throw money at you guys. But I truly was grateful for the, the, the family that right. they had made me part of. Right, right. Which, which is something that we have to foster if we are running uh, a home studio primarily and, and an independent business. It's something that we have to foster the relationships, you know. Um, did you, would you say, if you had to take a ballpark guess right now, that you've landed more work um, through your own efforts or with your agents? I, I still think the agents, I, think, I still think the agents from the standpoint of the, the audition opportunities or somebody hearing your demo but I, I will tell you that there have been a couple of times where you run into somebody, you meet somebody or a friend of a friend, and then you take it from there. The problem is, is that many times when I'm dealing with people directly, 
it seems like they they feel like, okay, then we don't have to go through an agent. And that translates to that they want to see how cheaply they can get it done. Right. So I try to, you know, I try to foster a relationship of, hi, well, glad you're interested. You know, here's my website and, uh, you know, call my agent. And if you ever want, you know, a scratch track on something like a slam, you know, a slam dunk audition, you know, I'd be happy to do that for you. And that did help in a couple of cases, right. you know, where, right. uh, you know, you, you make an investment on that. Right, uh, right. But, uh, you know, sometimes there are people that will just take and take and take. You have to be careful. And I feel like the people that will take and take and take, those aren't the people that are going to make you a lot of money. No, generally not. The, those aren't the people, you know, they're, they're, they're the people that say, well, can we do it for $200? Can we do it for $200? You know, just this, just this time. Those aren't the ones that are going to end up hiring you to do the national campaign because they're going to look at you as second choice Johnny. Right. And, and, I, and I try to instill that. I say, look, to my students, you may have a contact at this large advertising agency, but be careful. As far as they know, you're just the wannabe friend of a friend there. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a delicate balance, Rebecca. Good points. Excellent points. Where do you see the industry in the future, Tom? Well, How do you see things moving ahead in voiceover 2.0? I um, just kind of random thoughts. Yeah. Number one, number one, we continue to skew very young. I'm noticing that on, on you know, promos hmm. as, as well as commercials. Um, we continue to say, when I say we, ad agencies continue to say, we have no money, we have no money, we have no money, but oh, we want to hire this celebrity. So sort of the middle class of voiceover is in a tough spot right now. And I, and I think in terms of voiceover 2.0, that, that agencies will continue to utilize celebs because it's easy for them to sell, sell it to their client. Hi, we have so-and-so that's going to be doing our stuff and make, making it sound like it's going to be more important. Uh, and, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there is, with, with, with the sites like Voices123 and Voices.com, there's a little bit of a Wild West thing out there for people that aren't represented. And many producers are turning to that, saying, well, wow, if I've got 200 people auditioning for my little... Uh, uh, my little burger chain here in the Midwest, one of them's got to be able to do the job <laughs> and maybe and maybe not at union rates. So um, I, I, I see that happening. But the, the good news for most people wanting to get into voiceover is we want really distinctive and different sounds. There's not just one sound that they want anymore. So average sound, younger sound, older sound, quirky sound. Um, there's the room. fact that uh, the fact that African Americans, you know, are doing doing commercials and nobody's even thinking about the fact that oh, does he sound like he's African American? It's like no, then you know, it's it's just there. He's on it. One guy's on a cell phone campaign, and that's not just because the people on camera are African American. It's just it's there. So I think there's a lot more opportunities, but uh, there's also just as much uh, competition, if not more. Mm, yeah, yeah. It sounds like. Um the celebrities are getting a lot of the business that people were used to getting before that, that weren't celebrities, but, but were just you, really well-known voice talent. You know something, Rebecca? Um, I, I wanted to address something about that, if I can. Um, you and I had a, had a, had a, uh, a Facebook uh, back and forth. Right. Uh, we were talking about you know, a particular uh, celebrity and about his or her effectiveness. And about a week ago, for my own students, I started to pull together 
non-celebrity voiceovers on car campaigns because at, at one point, you know, there were working stiffs doing the image stuff on car campaigns. Now it's, yes, mostly celebs. Right. On the big national campaigns, right. But I wanted to play for, yeah, I wanted to play for my students an example of somebody who had very much a non-announcer, actor feel, very effective, very distinctive brand. And it was Michael Bell, what he did for Mazda in the very early 90s. And I listened to what Michael did for the Miata. And it is, you could put that spot on the air today. But the question is, they may say we would rather have Richard Dreyfus than Michael Bell, even though Michael, who always, by the way, when he got into voiceover, I mean, he's an actor. He's a fabulous actor. Right. Um, that, you know, he, he could knock it out of the park. But will somebody like Michael or, you know, some other working steps, will they get those image opportunities? I think we are in a mindset of if it's a car, we need to look, if we're spending that kind of money, we need to look celebrity first, working stuff later. Yeah, that's the kind of the mindset, at least for national campaigns. Somebody told me that what does happen is sometimes those campaigns get made with the national voice. I mean, the the celebrity on the national campaign level, like the Mazda that's going to be the national buy in all the big markets. But then the local Mazda dealers will actually add some more local, you know, Mazda ads where they're higher local VO talent. They won't have just that um, national spot running. Yes. Would you agree with that? Exactly. Okay. The dealer spots, the dealer spots are still going to be the domain of the working stiff because there are numbers and celebs don't want to push numbers. So, and there is great money. I mean, very good money. If you if you become the 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 dealer voice of Chevy, which I was up for a couple of weeks ago and didn't happen, but you know my agents were were very tickled at the work I had done on on this particular audition because they had it had to cover a wide range of things. But um, I do think those dealer spots. I mean, as as a VO talent, for example, I've got a pizza chain in the Midwest. If it were a national pizza chain, that campaign might have gone to a celeb. Right. It might have gone to somebody like a, a Dennis Leary, you know, or it could have been a Paul Giamatti, whatever. Somebody who's got a little bit of energy or quirkiness or, uh, you know, a vitality to their voice. Right, right. But this this is a, a pizza chain that's uh, got about oh, 250, uh, 250 uh, locations throughout about six or seven states. They're not national. No. So guess what? They want, you know what? They want scale. So here I am, boys and girls. Right. You know what? I mean, if this is what the industry is offering, you need to say, you know, here I am. The steady <laughs> local or retail work. You need to say, here I am, rocking like a hurricane. I can't. I cannot sing. I can fake it, but I can't sing. Right. That's all right. Well, you got to find your niche, right? You got to find your niche, your niche. Um, yeah. You got to figure out where you fit in as a person who's uh, looking to join the party. You, you do. And, and, and you can't be all things to all people. And, and, and it's important because agents' stables are so full that you have to find a way to stand out. You know, I, I, many times I'll say, describe yourself in a sentence. And somebody will say, well, I'm sort of a regular guy, but I, I said, don't, don't give me but. Don't give me the word but in that description. But what why, Tom? You do? But why, Tom? <laughs> Yeah, but why exactly? <laughs> you want to make sure, you know, say, say, I want that agent to remember you. Yeah. 
you know, I want that agent to say, I've got a full stable, but if I can get you in here doing X, then at least it opens up the door for that talent to get in there. And then eventually you have auditions for things more than just X. You get Y, you get Z, you know, whatever it may be. And you have an opportunity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, and we all want to carve out those niches or niches and get those opportunities. We're going to probably take a quick break here just for uh, scheduling purposes. Thanks for joining us. 